Hi, this is Pastor Brittany Isaac from Urban Village Church, Chicago. We are a church that is bold, inclusive, and relevant. I know that many of you out there are hungry for a gospel message of healing and wholeness, a message that leads to a life transformed by Christ. I hope that this podcast does just that. And if it does, would you please consider making a financial gift that will support this gospel-inclusive ministry? You can do that by going to urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks so much and have a blessed day. Today's scripture reading is Luke 24, 13 to 35. The walk to Emus. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emos. Am I saying that correctly? Emmaus. Emmaus? Emmaus. About seven miles from Jerusalem and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, what things? They replied, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to, the, to be condemned to death and crucify him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked away as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening, and the day is now nearby, nearly over. So we went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures on us? That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he had been made to he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. Uh, my name is Brittany. I'm the pastor here, and it's good to be back. I was on vacation last week, and I had a really great time, and I feel like now I need to sort of write a report of what I did on my vacation to tell you. So I'll tell you some of the fun things I did. I uh, built a raised bed 
um, and now have two raised beds in my yard and some bulch and I even planted some seeds that have been sowed, uh, snowed on but that's okay because they're just lettuces and I normally would have planted them in the fall anyway um, I uh, we went to the planetarium which was really fun um, and imagine being astronauts and we went to visit family and the highlight of the trip for Ruby was probably that uh, we went to the Jelly Belly factory in Wisconsin pretty awesome uh, and the thing that I enjoyed probably doing the most and that I never get to do is stay up late and binge watch TV. <laughs> Anybody, am I speaking anybody's language? Yes. So uh, my show of choice, um, and I'm going to throw Monica under the bus and say that she was there too, so it wasn't just me. Our sh show of choice was Grey's Anatomy. I am now caught up. I, I think I spent about 20 hours watching television, um, and I'm not sure that my life is better for it. Maybe it is, though, uh, because I got a sermon clip out of it, so that's always good. Um, this show, actually, so I'm going to say, if you haven't watched Grey's Anatomy, or if like you're in season five, there's going to be spoiler alerts. How can there not be when Shonda is in charge? Because there's just always something big every week. Uh, so spoiler alert, run from the room if you don't want to hear this. Uh, but this show got me to thinking about loneliness and uh, relationships. And since we're in this sermon series called FaceTime, um, overcoming loneliness together, I thought it was, it was appropriate. And so I want to I share this scene that really caught my attention. In it, Meredith, who's the, one of the main characters, is reflecting with her therapist about the state of her life. Um, she uh, lost her husband about 18 uh, months before. Um, she was in this really vicious attack where like every bone of her body was broken and she was in intense rehab and therapy for months on end. And then of course all while she's trying to be a single parent to her three children. I did mention it's a drama, right? Uh, so uh, she begins to share, and the thing that was constant in her life were her friends. And so she begins to share with her therapist that she uh, feels smothered by her friends caring, that she just wants to be left alone. So check out the scene. So I have to admit, a preacher is never truly on vacation. And when I was watching this clip, my little evangelical heart just wanted to yell out to Meredith and say, Meredith, you, what are you? You are a child of God. You are beloved. But of course, I restrained myself because I knew it was fiction and I might look ridiculous. Uh, 
this writer, Shonda Rhimes, is an ex is, she is excellent at what she does. She is excellent at her job because she creates, yes, lots of drama. I have never seen a hospital in my life that has seen so many intense medical situations and attacks in the city of Seattle, right? Like, it's a little crazy. Uh, does anybody watch this show? I feel like I'm, okay, okay, because I feel like nobody, I need some feedback when I'm talking, guys, okay? Uh, so I've never seen so many crazy things, and I'm always like, you need a social worker at your hospital. You need a chaplain. The doctors do not do that, right? But so it's crazy, and that's why we, you know, watch the show. But also, Shonda Rhimes is brilliant because in, this, in many seasons, in many episodes, she is touching on some of the very real questions of our existence as human beings. In this particular season, she is focusing on that restlessness that we've all felt at one time or another. You know what I'm talking about when I say restlessness, right? It's that desiring and longing for something different, but then still not being satisfied when you get something different. It is that um, in the midst of a crowded room of people still feeling very alone, or in the midst of your loneliness, which you thought you wanted, when you get into that loneliness or being alone, you still feel very alone, right? It is um, the restlessness that reminds you that nobody truly gets you, that nobody fully understands who you are, and yet it is all that you desire to be fully known, fully naked, as we talked about in our last sermon series. This loneliness, this restlessness, it's super isolating, and yet it is a universal truth. And that's why Shonda Rhimes is so brilliant, because she can bring that alive in characters. See, all of us, all of us are caught between our desire to have meaning in life and yet knowing that our life all ends in death, right? All of us are, are caught in this desire to want to carve out a piece of identity and purpose in who we are, and then when we get that identity and purpose being scared to death, that it will be yanked away from us, right? This restlessness, this loneliness, this isolation, Meredith is dealing with it in Grey's Anatomy, in the land of fiction, and we all have dealt with it at one point or another, right? And, and if you haven't, just wait. But I can remember even back in high school, not even being able to say it was restlessness or loneliness or isolation, but being in touch with something that felt a little off, right? Something that didn't feel right in my life. I, uh, uh, that song, Bridge Over Troubled Water, that we sang this morning, I can remember being in high school, and even though it was 25 years after uh, the formation and uh, dissolving of Simon and Garfunkel, just falling in love with this song, and just it piercing my soul, and realizing it was touching on something, that I, a truth that I could not express on my own, right? That um, I couldn't have described it this way at the time, but that Jesus met me there in that song. It's funny, I uh, posted on Facebook, I checked in during the first service, and I said that we were listening to Bridge Over Troubled Waters, and one of my college roommates was like, that song always reminds me of you. Because... <laughs> 
because I think I might have listened to it obsessively in college. Uh, because it was speaking the truth of that restlessness and longing and speaking resurrection to it, right? This restlessness that we feel, this lonely place that we live in, it reminds me of that quote that I often, I probably throw out too much, but it, it's a universal truth that St. Augustine offers. He says, our hearts are restless till they find their rest in thee. It's tweetable, right? It's so easy to remember, and yet it just pierces our soul. We are lonely. That's our human condition. And our natural response to that loneliness is to run, right? To avoid it, to deny it, to fill it with a hundred distractions. You know the sort of things that you distract yourself with from this loneliness, right? The ways that you try to escape. Let me just name a few. Maybe you go to a bar. Maybe you buy a new car or maybe you buy some accessories to go with your perfect outfit. Or maybe you binge watch TV. Or maybe you smoke more cigarettes than you really want to, but you can't stop. Or maybe the distractions that you have, they're more stealthy. They don't feel like vices, but they're distractions nonetheless. Maybe the way that you distract yourself from loneliness is by going to church. Or grabbing coffee with endless friend because you don't ever want to be alone. See, none of these behaviors are necessarily bad. Actually, the cigarettes might be bad for your lung. I, I will say that. But these behaviors in and of themselves are not bad behaviors. The, what, what makes them hard is that we're using them to distract ourselves from something else, right? So even good things, even good things like going to church, like surrounding yourself with community and grabbing coffee with friends can be distractions from that thing. Loneliness. From being able to sit in that loneliness because we're scared of it. What if it consumes us? What if it overtakes us? And so we distract ourselves. One of my favorite theologians and writers, uh, Frederick Buechner, he imagines that this is what the disciples are doing when they go uh, to this historically insignificant town of Emmaus. They are distracting themselves. He says going to Emmaus is whatever we do or wherever we go to make ourselves forget that the world holds nothing sacred that even the wisest and bravest and loveliest decay and die. So see, the disciples were going to Emmaus as a means of distraction. They were restless and grieved and lonely because they had lost Jesus, the one person who truly knew them. See, there's... Because that's what we all want, right? And there's something about Jesus. We see it in the scripture passages, story after story. You can call it charisma. You can call it charm. You can call it, you know, use the strength finder's woo, winning others over. Whatever it was, he had it. But he had more than that. He had more than that. He had the ability to look at someone in the eye and go to the very depths of their soul. I know you. I think his presence made people feel fully seen and known. 
Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee, and in the presence of Jesus they found rest. Just, I mean, seriously, I'm not making this stuff up. Look at some of the stories of Jesus, right? Even the first call story of the disciples, there they are fishing, and Jesus looks at them. It, it, all it says is that he looks at them and he says, follow me. And what do they do? They drop their nets and they immediately follow him. There must have been something about him that he peered into their very souls and saw them. The woman, the Samaritan woman at the well, here she is, a woman who's been isolated her whole life, or most of her life because she's had too many husbands, because she hasn't followed the rules of society. And Jesus looks at her and knows her. And what does she say about that experience when she leaves him? Come and see the man who told me everything I've ever done. She's telling the world that she has been known that she is not alone, that the isolation she has been feeling about the stigmas of society have melted away in Jesus' presence. Our hearts are restless till they find their rest in thee. I could go on and on about passages. This is what the whole gospel starts. Open a book and read and you'll see this. This is who Jesus was. This is who Jesus is. So following his death and resurrection, I think the disciples would have been totally disoriented and lonely. And of course, they're running to Emmaus. They're distracting themselves. And so we find them in the scripture. Uh, This happens just after the passage that we read on Easter. Uh, That same day, they head to Emmaus, it says, right? The two of them, a man named Cleophas and some other dude that we don't know, They're walking to Emmaus, and they're discussing the events and um, feeling isolated and lonely. And this guy that doesn't look like Jesus but is Jesus shows up and is like, what's going on? And they're like, seriously? You don't know what's going on? You haven't heard about all the events? And, And he's like, what things? What things have happened? And so they explain. And in that moment, Jesus realizes they don't actually get what's going on. And so he goes back and tells them. He spends the seven-mile walk telling them, and when they arrive, here's, here's the, this scripture's so rich, but here's what I want to talk about today. When they arrive, he goes on. Now, culturally, this is the polite thing to do, right? Um, you don't want to infringe on people's hospitality, and so you sort of go on, and you wait for them to ask you, no, please stay with us. Right? And then you refuse, oh, no, it's okay. And then you insist, no, please stay with us. And then you do it. Right? That's the cultural thing to do. So I get it. Right? But here's what I see. I see that Jesus is going on. Jesus is ahead of us, waiting for us wherever we're going. Jesus has already been there, is already preparing a way there to be met in all of our experiences. Jesus has already been there. This is what resurrection is about. This is why two Sundays ago we were singing the fun songs, Christ the Lord is risen today, and all excited about resurrection. This is the crux of the Christian message, that Jesus is here. Now you're like, Pastor Brittany, I get it. We're in worship. Of course Jesus is here. No, but when you were getting dressed today, Jesus was there. And when you're going to go have brunch Jesus will be there. 
The beauty of the resurrection is that Christ is risen and Jesus is with you. With you. In the good times and the lonely times. Just yesterday, I was having this conversation uh, with a guy that he's connected to UVC. I'm going to call him Sam. He's not our Sam. Um, And so you'll know that when I tell the story. But I'm going to call him Sam. Sam uh, grew up in this agnostic household, and um, at the age of 12, he um, was a binge drinker and a pot smoker and an opium smoker, and he was miserable. And the only thing that, that he could find hope and excitement in was horseback riding. He loved horses. And so his mom did research this is before the internet, so I don't know how she got this research, but did research and found um, a horse camp. It actually happened to be a United Methodist church camp um, out Jensen Woods, but Sam didn't know that or didn't care because it was the opportunity for him to ride horses. And so he uh, rode horses that summer and loved it, and the next summer he went back, and eventually um, he was spending like six weeks of his summer riding horses at this camp. Loved it, all while being a pot smoker and opium smoker and binge drinker and uh, living, like, being agnostic. And he eventually became a volunteer counselor at this camp. And one night, how many of you have been to a church camp before? Yeah, so you guys know that some of the best part, parts of a church camp is worship, Right? He didn't say if it was like around a campfire or something, but I'm, you know, picturing a campfire. (laughs) And he said in the midst of that worship service, he felt this powerful experience of the Holy Spirit, like something he had never felt before. He felt at once peace and joy for the first time in his life. You know what I see? Jesus showed up on his road to Emmaus. For the first time in his life, his restless heart found rest in thee and was changed forever. He came home from camp. He came home from that experience, and with the help of God's grace, he said it took him about three months to get sober. He came home from that experience and he started reading the Bible and he joined a Bible study and uh, he said he started asking too many questions and so the church that he initially went to, they kind of kicked him out um, because he was asking too many questions. (laughs) But he found this other church, a United Methodist church, that um, he joined and um, when he turned 17, the pastor asked him to preach and he said it was awesome and amazing. And so 13 years later now, do you know, Sam is a youth pastor, um, and he's sharing the story of Jesus showing up to youth all over the city. He's sharing the story that, that even if you're on the Emmaus Road running, Jesus shows up. This is, this is what resurrection is about, friends. This is resurrection, that Jesus just keeps showing up and appearing in our lives. It means Jesus is here now. It means that when we break bread later, we, Jesus will be known in the breaking of this bread. Right? 
but it also means that in the midst of your deepest loneliness when you're at home listening to, I guess nobody listens to CDs anymore, listening to your iPod on in bridge over troubled water, and you're just listening to that and miserable and lonely, it means Jesus is there too. It means that in your fear and confusion over who you are and what you want and what you're desiring and where you hope to go and your fear that it's all going to be taken away, Jesus is there. That whatever you are going through in life, we are met by a resurrection God. Met by the resurrection This is why we celebrate. This is why Easter is so big. This is why every Sunday is so big. There are many Easter's. We are celebrating the resurrection of God. So, where are you today? Are you running? Are you on the road to Emmaus, full of distractions? Know that when you least expect it, you will be met by resurrection. You probably already have.